welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning and the end of all we do. May openness and peace mark our discussions. As we engage in conversations about the fresh move of God, may our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. Now grab your favorite Nespresso and enjoy the Deep Waters Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for being with us, friends. We don't have Jace, who is normally with us, but instead we have a really wonderful special guest, Pastor Corey Jones, who's visiting us from Fort Worth, Texas. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being with us, yeah, Pastor Yeah, really Corey. honored, really honored, honestly. Yeah. It's, a, it's a joy to be here. That's good. Could you just give a little introduction to yourself for people who maybe missed your sermon on Sunday? Wow. Well, I mean, um, I'm a pastor's kid, raised in the church. Uh, my whole life, um, my dad was, um, uh, we, we lived in Texas and Colorado, and then I ended up my high school years in Tennessee, <laughs> and so grew up PK, so, and, and, you know, sadly, I think a lot of PKs don't have great experiences, but I had a great experience. I, I had a, wow. Praise a God. really, um, my mom and dad just modeled like just a love for God and a love for people and made it fun. And so then I went on to college at Olivet Nazarene University and met my wife. Oh, and wonderful. 32 years later, we're celebrating, we'll be 33 years this year that we've been married. And Wonderful. Um, got two boys, one at Michigan Law School, his name is Matthew, and one is about to graduate from Oklahoma University. His name is Luke. And so I've been pastoring in Fort Worth, Texas at Crossroads Tabernacle for 26 years now. Same wow. church. Yeah. My only church. Amazing. Yeah. Since I left seminary, this is my only church I've pastored. Wow. Yeah. That's not a super common story, I feel like, in pastoral ministry. <laughs> Probably not. I feel like that speaks a lot to just <clears throat> the integrity and humility of your mm. leadership, I would guess. Well, yeah. it was definitely um, the Lord his call on it. And I just have really literally never heard him say to do anything else. So we are here. We're still there in Fort Worth, Texas. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. What an incredible example. Mm. I also love that you bring up that you're a pastor's kid because I don't often hear like such great examples of raising, being raised in a pastor's home. So it speaks to also how well your parents have done it and how well I'm sure you've done it for your boys. Well, yeah, we we tried to model that um, ourselves in our home. But, um, yeah, I've seen a lot of the opposite with pastor's kids. But, you know, I have two brothers, and they both love the Lord and are serving the Lord. And so, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. we, however my mom and dad stewarded the pastorate did not leave a bad taste in our mouths, Mm -hmm. but a good one. That's wonderful. Yeah. Wow. One of the reasons I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, just like we're excited to have you at Riverhouse, mm. um, is because you bring such like a wealth of experience and also a different perspective being mm-hmm. from a different part of the country, mm-hmm. um, a different cultural expression of Christianity, I think, than we sure. even have yeah. in the inland Northwest. And um, 
So anyway, I'm excited to glean some of your wisdom from that to hear if there are things that you see about our cultural context or about our church coming in just a bit from the outside. I know we're still in the American church and there's more similarities than there are differences, but um, yeah, even just in, in me saying that, do you see anything that is really clearly like, oh, I wasn't expecting the church in Idaho to feel this way, or maybe there's something that they could learn from us in Texas. Well, like, so this is my way of, of, of like saying that, um, in Texas, which would be part of the Bible belt, um, uh, Texas would be the belt buckle <laughs> sure, of all the way out to Tennessee and Alabama and Georgia. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a joke, but it's not like a great joke, but it's like everyone, let's just say it this way. Everyone in Texas is saved. Sure. Yeah. And yet they need to be saved. Huh. You know what I'm saying? So there's this this kind of cultural mindset that we're Christian hmm. big time down there, which is much different than the sure. Northwest or the West and the East. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to New York and I've seen Christian expression there. It's very different than in Texas, which which almost that's a it's like it's a religious spirit in Texas. Oh which makes people almost immune to the need for God because they think they've already found him. But when you wow. come out west, and I've seen this, I've seen, I've been to many churches in California and other places, um, and I saw this in New York. I, I remember going to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Yeah. And Christ Tabernacle is a sister, a sister church. And I was on a bus to get to the prayer meeting, and I could pick out the people on the bus who were going to that prayer meeting because they looked so different in countenance than the rest of the people huh. on the bus. What I mean by that is that when you get Jesus in New York, it, you really stand out. Wow. And yeah. I think that might be true of West Coast. Incredible. Or Northeast. Yeah. I mean, Northwest. Yeah, sure. Is that, um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about it to say that, but I, I definitely would be West Coast, but I mean, Idaho, um, might be the same that there's less of a um like less of that religious Hmm. background yeah just that cultural assumption yeah i'm assuming like yeah that's exactly right a cultural assumption that's good i i know even within idaho there's a diversity of cultural pockets but the one that i grew up in was quite liberal i went to a public school and i think i was um, I, at least I think the only Christian among my friend group, um, that followed the Lord. And I definitely felt like an exile in Babylon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so hearing you talk about Texas makes me think, well, I can't imagine what that would feel like to be yeah. saturated so much in a Christian culture. Um, but yeah. I also know that's not everybody's story in Idaho because there's different, different experiences. Yeah. But you know, I think, and I'm not downing Texas, but it would be a form of godliness without power. Wow. Yeah. No doubt. Wow, fascinating. No doubt. When you say without power, would you unpack what you mean by that? Well, you know, I, I think it would be like the idea that, you know, when I was a child, I got saved or something like that. And I have no more need for the church or the mm-hmm. word or anything like that. It's sort of a false sense of security. Wow. And so um, what I mean by power is there's actually in, I would, I would say, a large group of people that would call themselves Christian and, and my, maybe or may not call themselves church. They don't actually have any definable work of God going on in their lives huh. Huh. that they can point to. Sure. 
you know. Wow, that's fascinating. Like Christendom, I guess. Yeah. They're just on the ship of salvation. Very much, and yeah. They've checked the boxes. and That's exactly right. They're just riding line. And that's the without power part of it. Oh, I see. And it's almost like it takes a crisis where they can't manage things, and at least in my part of the country, to need the mm. church and God again. Mm. That may be everywhere, but. Sure. Yeah, in our own way, I'm sure we <laughs> all experience that in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But that's good. Well, I appreciate that insight. Mm -hmm. um, River House, as I'm sure you have witnessed at least a little bit over the past weekend, uh, for the sake of our listener, by the way, we're recording this on Monday, March 6th. <laughs> this will come out later this Friday. But sure. um, you've witnessed that we love to worship mm -hmm. at our church. Um, as long as I've been a member of River House, which has been a little over five years Worship has been longer than any other church I've ever been a part of. And I love it because I'm naturally a worshiper. Yeah. And even recently, we're leaning into that more. Mm -hmm. um, our worship space is growing. There's no hard cap on it. Right. It seems like we could just worship and never really stop. And we'll skip over everything else that was planned for the night and just stay in that space. And some of us at our church have loved that. Mm -hmm. And others... Um, find d different discomfort with it. They don't really know how to engage or for that amount of time. Maybe they love worship, but they sure. were really looking forward to the sermon. Right. Um, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on that. Just speaking to people who are trying to engage yeah. with this change in worship. Sure. You know, I, like I would like to say it this way to honor, honestly, to honor those that are uncomfortable with, with it, that the discomfort would be, um, to honor that is, um, we do need to hear the word. Mm. And I, I think that, um, um, balance is absolutely so important that, um, there's parts of us that, um, kind of, we need that, we need that balance. We need that part. So I want to honor that. Um, I, I think that the other side of it though, as I'm experiencing it, because I would say that we're experiencing that too at our church, the, mm -hmm. the um, um, continuous praise and worship and prayer, and it doesn't end until, you know, like mm -hmm. there's no time to speak. But I, I'd like to speak into that as a word of encouragement to those who maybe are concerned about it, that um, maybe we, because um, I have experienced this too much not to see it, that, um, um, maybe in a new wineskin way of thinking that when, when he's called the spirit of truth, um, the Bible says, you know, Jesus in, in John 16 says he's the spirit of truth and he will guide you into all truth. Um, it didn't say that, that, that it, it would be a preacher that preached the spirit of truth, but that the spirit himself is the truth. Mm. Wow. And, and so what that means to me is, is that, and I have seen this in my own life and I've seen it in many other lives is that let's say that when those times come and it's just, um, like a continuous, it doesn't seem to slow down worship and prayer experience and the presence of God is there. I've experienced Jesus teach people directly through through his presence, the counselor, the wonderful counselor, directly to people's hearts in a way that actually profoundly impacts them in a deeper way internally than even hearing the preached word. Wow. So do we need the preached word? Absolutely. Do we need it taught? Absolutely. But sometimes when Holy Spirit's like, almost kind of like, hey, pastor, you're going to take a seat today? <laughs> wow. It's because he's, he's 
he's well enough able to communicate what he's trying to say. And I believe even on a deeper level where it becomes experiential, not just head knowledge. Like I've said this many times that, um, in fact, I remember, I remember Jim Simbla saying that I've seen God do more in one prayer meeting than 10 weeks of my sermons. Wow. And I believe that that may be an indication that when we start having conversation with God in worship and prayer, he starts talking to us in a direct way that let's just say this, like, like, and I believe this, in fact, that you could teach, let's say 10 weeks on, you know, the gifts of the spirit or whatever. Let's say 10 weeks on the gifts of the spirit or nine weeks because there's nine gifts. There you go. Good. (laughs) And Holy Spirit in one worship service could literally just impart gifts Wow. And then literally teach us in the impartation of the gift, which would be way more profound because you just received a gift. Now, do we need teaching? See, I actually think we need teaching after Holy Spirit does stuff. (laughs) Not to prompt him. So then we, instead of teaching for someone to have it, it's like we teach to explain what they have. Wow. That's lovely, which I guess was what Paul was doing in 1 Corinthians. Well... Yeah, he's like I mean, explaining. Actually, and... the Holy Spirit fell, and everyone started getting filled with the Spirit and the f- tongues of fire on their heads, and all the people were asking them what was going on. And then Peter explained what was going on because the Spirit just did something. And so I think we've actually thought that if we teach it real well, the Holy Spirit will do it. And maybe it's we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to do it, and then we teach to explain it. I love that. Because how, I mean, how better than you to actually have an experience of something. So now it's tangible in your life. And then we just give teaching to fill in what just happened. So we never want to go without teaching totally because then we could actually be off. Sure. You see, Mm -hmm. we could be off. Mm -hmm. Start going down a tangent. Mm -hmm. So teach us, teaching brings us back. But I think that we should allow the Holy Spirit in times like that to just Jesus, what are you doing? Let's let you do what you're doing. And um, I think he's teaching us. That's good clarification. I like that paradigm shift that's yeah. required there. Do you in your church create space then for the Holy Spirit to lead? Um, and what does that look like practically if you're trying sometimes to allow your teaching to take a back seat to the yeah. Holy Spirit's leadership? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, start off with just even worship services or prayer meetings. They're not our meeting. Like we, we are pr- like... Um, this friend, Rob McQuirkle, who I think comes to your church, or he's coming this September, he, he coined it, we are prepared but unplanned. Hmm. So we, we, um, we are not like, like lazy on our part, but then we give space for him to work. And I think that in the Psalms, the reason why there's a say law there that no one knows what that means, <laughs> except that they know it means pause in a sense, it's a waiting that in the worship and the prayer, it's in the waiting moments where we don't fill it with stuff. Like we, we get comfortable with silence even in between things, that that may be exactly where Jesus is really bringing things home. Wow. Yeah, so That's we excellent. try to practice the Selah at our church. And I, and I know you guys do too. Mm-hmm. I've, I've witnessed it here this weekend. I, I mean, that's language for it. We're practicing the Selah. We're... we're, we're in the waiting, um, and in fact, if you look at all the Psalms where the Selah is, I, I looked at it, that pause is that moment where you're taking in what, what just was said or done, but you're not ready to receive what's next until you pause and wait. Mm. 
Wow. Yeah. That's and then what comes next meditation. is really profound, but it might take waiting on him. And that's why we can't put God on a clock. I think that's been such a damaging thing in the church is like, we only give one hour to this. So God, you got to get it done in one hour. And I'm not against churches that do that. That's fine. But I just personally think we give three hours to a, to a movie. Yeah. We give four hours to a, to a sporting mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to be in a rush with God? Wow. I've actually heard someone jokingly say, church is going so long and I only serve an hour and a half God, (laughs) which is kind of like a funny joke. But at the same time, I think is speaking to a truth there that Mm -hmm. like this being at church is actually kind of cumbersome for me. And maybe I'm like crossing off my religious duty or whatever. And I've fulfilled the obligation on this Sunday for the first hour and a half. But beyond that, God, you're on borrowed time. So uh, I think mm, you're boxing God in there in my mind. Yeah. And, and I think Jesus, good. I mean, how many times, I mean, Jesus points out to Martha, it's like Mary's chosen what's better. She's sitting at my feet. She's pressed mm-hmm. into me. She's listening to my word and that won't be taken from her. Wow. And, um, yes. you know, you know, what's amazing about that, just reading that passage is that, you know, that it said that, that, that um, Martha was hanging on every word that Jesus was speaking to her or teaching her. No, no, no one else was, evidently. And it's clear to me in Scripture what the revelation she was getting mm-hmm. from him. He had been trying to tell his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer. And on the third day, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go down a cross on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. But by the time Jesus tried to get that out, oftentimes his disciples interrupted him and said, "Don't, we don't want to hear that. I believe she listened to that fully. And in John 12, she's the one breaking the alabaster at his feet because she had revelation from sitting there and listening to him that released that thing that he said, what she did will be remembered every time the gospel's preached. And that's what can't be taken from her. So I think that when we try to tell God how much time he has, we're, we're becoming Martha and we miss <laughs> those like <laughs> earth shattering revelations yeah. that like she was the only one prepared for his suffering. The disciples wow. had heard him say it many times, but for some reason they would cut him off. Like remember Peter was like, Oh yeah. I, I got rebuked. Like, you know, get like, behind me, Satan. Cause he's saying, no, no Lord, you can't do that. But she just listened. And then at Lazarus's dinner, they're all sucked in. Martha's still serving. Can't for a second wait with him. And she releases that perfume that fills the room and was preparing for his. She had revelation, man. Wow. So I think that what. That's a stunning picture. What happens is you wait in his presence and you get revelation. Mm-hmm. I've seen this. I've seen the services end and people leave. And the ones who stayed, the revelation came. Wow. I've seen it. Hmm. Yeah. One's just down there waiting, man. <laughs> That's so, wow. I love the way you exegeted that scripture just there. That was excellent. <laughs> um, I'm curious on a practical level, say I'm at church on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Worship is an hour and 10 minutes in. Yeah. And I had been singing. I sat down. I was kneeling for a little while. And now I just don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. I, 
whether I'm bored or I just don't even know how to engage. Mm -hmm. um, just now you said waiting on the Lord was mm -hmm. a phrase that you brought up. So I don't know if that has mm -hmm. a part to do with it, but how would you encourage that person that doesn't know what to do? Yeah. So I want to say on the other side that, that I believe services should have beginning and end times that honor the people and honor the workers mm. so that we're not just like keeping kids cooped up, you know, and, and it's like, it's, uh, so we should have a culture of honor where we honor times. But what I think is happening is, listen, you're free to go. Sure. And the kids come in. Yep. But, but we're also free to stay. Mm. So then you've honored people who they do need to go and they got what God wanted to give them. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it should ever be um, an, a, a kind of an animosity or even a super spirituality that you're better if you stayed longer, you know what I'm yeah, saying? I'm glad you said that. Yeah, yeah, I don't want people yeah. to ever feel that way at my church. That's why I actually say many times, hey, listen, God bless you, we love you. Um, you're welcome to leave at this time. We're gonna keep you know, worshiping him, pressing in, and, and people leave. Mm -hmm. And they don't, I don't think they feel guilty at all, and I don't want them to. Yeah, but the ones who feel like they should stay. Sure. So it's like maybe you could still be Mary sitting at Jesus's feet, but then and have to take your kids and go. And you have to take <laughs> your kids and go, and that's okay. And and Jesus <laughs> is still working on your heart at home as your kids are sleeping in their beds. That's right. Good. Yeah. So <laughs> I think the the church should make space for time that goes beyond time, but that there's also honor to those who need to leave. I think we should be that way. I don't think we should ever make people feel guilty. And then for you, you know, what you're thinking about waiting, um, I, I think that's just, um, I'm not sure I have much to say about that, except that I, I think it's, it's something learned hmm. that, you know, and maybe, maybe cause we, we've been talking about the tabernacle of David here. And I think one of the big transitions in worship that's going on and it's not i mean it's been going on for a while is we're not worshiping um you know we're not doing ministry for him anymore we're doing ministry to him lovely and and the worship isn't to the worship people aren't to get the people to worship they're worshiping jesus and if people want to join them they're they're welcome to and so i i think that that it's like the, and that's a beautiful picture of our identity. You think about that for just a second, mm -hmm. the worth that God places on us. And we talked about the language of being a priest in God's house. That's not my language. That's Revelation 1, I think it's verse 14 or 12 or something that I have made you to be a priest, which means mm -hmm. I've made you to minister to me. Mm -hmm. So think about the value he places on us that he actually wants to receive worship from us. And, and man, what a break from the mentality that we were doing stuff for him to we're doing stuff to him and ministering to him. Stunning. That's a transition. And it's inherently relational. Absolutely. If our faces are toward him rather than about him, but disconnected. Yeah, yeah. I started sensing that that was something really not something that the Lord liked because you wouldn't like it. Huh. I mean, what if I was in a context with three other people and for an hour I talked about you and never talked to you one time in the, you're in the room and I'm talking about you, man, isn't, you know, Benji great and all this and that. And you're like, I'm right here. <laughs> I'd feel terribly that excluded. Would, well, that would be completely weird. <laughs> yeah. Number one. But, um, I think that's what, what is transitioning in the church is, is like, how, how sad if, if so preaching would be sort of about him 
Hmm. And sometimes singing was about him, but now it's like what prayer does is prayer is the mechanism to transition everything to him. Lovely. Yeah. And so in the waiting times, you're, you're, you're hearing him and you're talking back to him and that's prayer. You're, you're in, in a relationship. And I tell you what, if you don't have Selah space for that, then how do you actually receive anything that's being taught? Hmm. If you don't have any space to actually receive it and internalize it. Hmm. So otherwise you're so busy, you just rush, rush past. Yeah, and maybe if you wrote things down, but I mean, see how many people like think about this. This is crazy. I can't hardly remember what I preached on Sunday by Monday. And I was the preacher. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, so how can someone who sat there, so if we're not taking notes and then actually saying, Jesus, will you speak to me? Because uh-huh. think about that. When you get spoken to by Jesus in a gathering like that, you're marked. Wow. Like, Amen. I, I know all the times he spoke to me in my life. I don't remember who was leading or speaking or anything, but I remember him. Wow. And it marks you. That's significant. Like yeah. a bookmark on my yeah, heart. Yeah, no. And sometimes you can remember. Yeah, I remember where I was, you know. But... A lot of other details fade away, but not when he speaks. That's a great transition to my next question. (laughs) Um, I'm interested, if you're comfortable and willing to share a time maybe where the Lord encountered you and helped shift this paradigm mm. of worship or prayer in your personal life, mm-hmm. um, wow. whether mm. it was recently or when you were a child, or, or have you always been a worshiper like this? No, no, I haven't. Um, <laughs> I, so I don't know why I feel like I'm supposed to share this, but when I was in 11th grade, I, I know that I was, I was really quickly drifting away from God and this isn't your question, but I feel for some reason I'm supposed to share this, that I was in 11th grade and I was planning to walk away in a sense from God after I left my mom and dad's home and do my thing. And my dad had a revival speaker. And I remember, you know, on the back row, I'm sitting there with all my friends, totally checked out and he's speaking. And all of a sudden Jesus is in my face speaking to me and calling me. And I felt arrested by Jesus. I mean, I felt like, it was the most profound experience. And I remember saying, no, I, I will not. And, but my, I guess my legs didn't get the memo because they stood and my legs walked me out of my aisle and walked me down to the altar. I mean, I felt like it wasn't me, man. Whoa. And I had an encounter with Jesus that saved my life. It literally did. I would be a train wreck without Jesus. I would have been self, like I would have been egotistical. I would have been ruinous to relationships Mm -hmm. the way I was operating at that time prideful and I had an encounter with Jesus that was sanctifying it like purified my heart and and it was from that place that I experienced calling and so devotion I remember that first night when I went back to the room to my to my bedroom I was up all night in the word like all of a sudden like my heart was burning and I had a it was like truly a life-altering encounter. And I'm going to tell you that the rest of my life, I have felt like I've been in a dialogue with Jesus where he can talk to me and I can listen. I mean, I, I was dating my, 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 my wife in college and um, we were, had dated two years and I was definitely going to marry her. And the Lord came to me and said, you're, you're going to break up with her. Whoa. And it was like a Abrahamic lay it on the altar thing, you know? 
And and you knew without a shadow of a doubt. I, it was absolutely, because I was in the voice. I mean, I from that moment when I was at the altar in Nashville, Tennessee, in 1987, I I have had a I have in the high times and low times in the whatever I've he's always been able to speak to me and I've been able to hear him clearly. And um, so I went over to her and I told her that I said we can't date anymore, which was crushing to me. And for six months we were on the same campus and I would see her and I was not in a relationship with her and we were together for two years. And then it was like the Lord was saying, I want to know that I have all of you. That's all it says about Abraham is that he, wow. w- once he, he gave Isaac up, he said, I just wanted to know that you feared me. So my, my heart is I would rather be miserable um, and have God than to have my desires without God. And, and yet I, like, I'm careful with how I even say that because um, in Psalm 137, the Bible says, if you delight yourself in him, he gives you the desires of your heart. Mm. So and I don't want to ever convey that to, to have God is some kind of misery. Mm. It's not. It's that God wants to check our desires first, and once our de- our desires are fully delighting in Him, we can expect that that the relationship. I think that's what God was trying to say to me: is I, I just want to make sure I have Your delight, and if I have Your delight, then all these other things are Yours as well. And so it's that place where I, I think God's always checking. <laughs> to see if there's any idolatry wow. or anything that values something else over his word, which is not the fear of the Lord. We should have the fear of the Lord, which is is to love his word and love what he wants more than what we want because we can trust him. Wow. So that's, that's my heart on that. I'm even reminded of Jesus's words where he says, in order to gain your life, you'll have to lose it. Uh-huh. Like give your life away. And when you do that, that's when you gain it. If you hold on to your life, that's precisely when you yeah. lose it. Uh, thinking your story here with your wife is really similar. Yeah. It's like you had to hand it to God yes. on the altar yes. so that he could hand it back yeah. to you and trust it's, you. It's the paradox of the cross. That's stunning. You know, mm-hmm. to to be crucified. Um, and I think that's that goes back to my experience in 11th grade or 1987 was that I, I think I experienced the power of the cross of being crucified to the world and the world to me. Um, in that place of, of living dead to myself mm. means that I can be alive to God. And so mm. once you get in that place of trust, you're, you're just like, you know that there's nothing that you could pursue yourself that would be even close to, to the beauty of what God has for you. Whoa. Yeah. That requires trust. Oh, it does. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm wondering how then that kind of wraps into some of the conversation we've had about worship. Right. And, um, like when in a worship context, am I not engaging? I don't know. Like, am I struggling to engage, but I can trust that God has something for me in yeah. the room. Maybe I have to be willing to lay down some of my own preconceptions of what a worship service should look like. And, yeah. and that, that requires some vulnerability. Yes. I mean, really, is there really any kind of true worship that doesn't have surrender in it? It's stunning. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're if we're if we're holding on to things, um, it's lesser worship. Yeah. You know, it may be praise, it may be singing to God, but when the heart is is free of of any kind of worldly attachment or control, that's when you press in and you can really worship Him. That's when worship is free. I think. That's good.
Okay, I have another question for you. You have proven yourself as a man who is deeply saturated with scripture <laughs> your whole time being with us. Um, I'm wondering if you have any words of encouragement for someone that maybe hasn't experienced the Bible very very much. Maybe they're intimidated by this ancient text mm. that feels really detached. Um, is Is being so biblically literate something that ought to exist for all Christians, or is it something that is just you know, a calling for you as a pastor? Yeah, no, I, I would say no. I would say this is the blessing of being a believer is that um, the word, I mean, it is, you know, it's described as life. Um, John 15, Jesus says, abide in my word and let my word abide in you. And so I don't think that's about being, you know, educated in, you know, like theology or, um, that kind of thing. I, I think it's, it's, um, it comes out of like, I believe that, that the desire for the word comes out of a, a, an intimate relationship with Jesus who is mm -hmm. the word. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, um, <laughs> it's because you, you, you love Jesus so much and you're experiencing his love so much that you, that you have, there's almost like a divine curiosity to know what he says. Whoa. You know, yeah. Um, it, it'd be like um, I, know, I may be off here right now, but like having a bunch of love letters from your girlfriend, and um, but yet you don't really have a relationship with your girlfriend. It's like you're not going to care too much what's in those letters. But if you have mm. a real relationship, if it, like if it's intimate and there's love there, wow. you know, or your wife or your spouse or whatever, you care what they say. Mm. And, um, it brings you close to them. And so for me, that's like my greatest, um, I like, I, I believe every believer, this is true or can be true is, is, um, yeah, there's, there's, it's good to have Bible studies and teaching and all that kind of stuff. But I think the greatest saturation for a Christian is just like in the word is just out of a relationship with Jesus. You start having like divine curiosity of what he says. And it like my times with the Lord, that's how it always is, is that I'm praying and I'm seeking him. And all of a sudden, like, it's almost like he's whispering, like, I mean, no joke. It's almost like he's whispering to me the passage in the verse. Wow. <laughs> or I'll get a phrase. <clears throat> like, it's like, like, like he's wanting me, it's almost like he, he's wanting me to encounter him through his word. And so, you know, sometimes, actually, probably more than not, I'll, I'll just hear a phrase or something. I go, well, I know that's in the Word, and I'll just Google it. Sure. And then it takes me to that Word, and I'm like, wow, God, this is just so, huh. this is so good. So that's the beauty of Google. Yeah, thank you, Google. Yeah, Actually, right. I, I do that, too. I'm like, I'm thinking these are a few keywords. Where does it say that? Yeah. What it, yeah, it's helpful. It happens to me <laughs> all the time. And so, like, I don't even, like, tell people, you know, you got to love the Word. Um, I think that... <laughs> In an encounter with Jesus, I think that's why worship and prayer is so important, is that it opens our heart, and then all of a sudden, you mm. really do care what he says. Wow. And it draws you in to what he says. And so, yeah. Okay, I, that's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking maybe there's someone listening to this that says, I fully identify with loving Jesus. Yeah. I love the worship space. But for whatever reason, when I pick up the Bible... Maybe it's because I start in Leviticus, <laughs> but like <laughs> I'm having a hard time working my way through it or yeah. like seeing it as the love letter. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to that so, person? So I, like I, I would say like people who say I'm reading the Bible through in a year, I think that's awesome because, because it's like, it's giving you a grid for remembrance of things he said. And so, you know, if you, if you haven't been in those different places, so I, I love that, but I think that's like being in the logos. That's like, that's like the, the rational that's in the scripture. It's, it's, it's the word, but the rhema is is that part that just gets so much sweeter and, and more beautiful? You remember when it when when Mary, um, when the wise men were telling or the no the shepherds were telling her about you know what they experienced oh. and all that, and it says she she treasured that rhema mm. in her heart about Jesus. That's good. And I think that's what happens once you've got a grid, like you you've read Genesis and you read these different books, but then all of a sudden in relationship with Jesus, he he whispers his rhema. Which, which is really just the quickening of some words. And I think it's like a treasure hunt. It's like Jesus is whispering his word into your heart, and then you go chasing it. And, mm. and then it, it's like, it's beautiful because it's not just a word you read because you're doing your Bible study reading. It's a word that's almost like he's like breadcrumbs. He's like telling you, go yeah. look at this. And, and then you have an encounter with him through his word. Whoa. And so, you know, um, so I mean, for me, the greatest... Um, awakening of love for his word has been me uh, meditating and praying his word. And, and I'll tell you where it started for me in my late teens and twenties was the Psalms. Hmm. Sure. Those were more relatable. Totally, man. Easier like, to get just, into. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in them and I still do. <laughs> um, and then it, it would shoot you over into the prophets and so forth. Um, some of Paul's letters do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and then I think what happens is we, we get drawn into the gospels because we start wanting to know what he did. Amen. Yeah. Cause it's, if, if he did it, he can do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, maybe just a little bit of clarification if we can, for someone mm -hmm. who heard you say logos and Rhema yeah. and didn't know those are, so that's a Greek word. Logos is, is mm -hmm. logos is like, um, first John in the beginning was the word. So mm -hmm. it, it comes from more like the rational, uh, like literal um, um, uh, understanding, like the, like what you're reading in the Bible is the logos. It's the word. Mm -hmm. The rhema, it, rhema is another word for for word. <laughs> yeah. But it implies more intimate, personal, um, directly to you kind of thing. So it's like you're not hearing the word with your intellect, but you're hearing it with your heart. Sure. The rhema is hearing it with your heart. That's why it, that's why the Greek word for how Mary took the word that she was hearing about Jesus and she treasured it in her heart. Wow. It was the rhema. It was a specific word about Jesus to her. That's good. Yeah. Thank you for flushing that out. I hope so. Did. Sometimes it's helpful with other languages because mm -hmm. English can fall short so much. Yeah. yeah I know we yeah. talk about love every once in a while just as an illustration of that i love you know Haley, my fiance i also love tacos and <laughs> like <laughs> how yes. the word love yeah doesn't yeah. have the nuance that i wish it did sometimes but yeah yeah like, more like you you would say yeah you, you you throw other adjectives to describe your love for your for your girlfriend or wife i love her dearly sure i you know i i love her wholly 
you know, um, a, you know, more than we have to use other words. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't say I, you know, I, I intimately love my taco. <laughs> you know, that would be no. a strange thing to say. <laughs> be out of order. I dearly love this taco. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'd be concerned for me. And that's, you know, wow, that's good. Amiss. Okay. I love, um, the way that you're talking about the Bible is interwoven with just hearing the voice of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we long to hear God's voice yeah. and don't know how yeah. to hear God's voice. And th- that doesn't necessarily always have to look like scripture as I understand, but so often scripture is interwoven with listening to God. Yes. Um, just from hearing your own testimony, whether you're in the word in the moment or you've been in the word so much that in a particular circumstance, you actually find verses coming out of you. It's Mm -hmm. like the Holy Spirit is drawing scripture from your memory to speak a purpose to you that he would like to speak. Is that kind of what you were saying there? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I think it's stunning. Yeah. So. Yeah, one of the saddest lines I think Jesus had for the Sadducees and Pharisees in John, I think it's six or seven or eight. (laughs) I can't remember. It's good. Somewhere in there. Um, that their problem was they had no room for me in their heart. They had no room for my word, he said. You have no room for my word. And so I I think that's such a, like, that's what we want. We want to have room in us for his word. And so that was, that's why they could never understand him is because they had no room for him, no room for his word. And I think that 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 may be a a problem of why we struggle at times to hear the Lord is we have no room. We've made no room. We, we've, we've not become Bethlehem, you know, mm-hmm. the, the um, uh, uh, stable where Jesus was born. We have to become a place where, like, I'm convinced that, that oftentimes oh. we don't hear God because we have agreed with so many other things that we hear of value, and we place those as, like, the treasure of our heart. And it's why we don't hear. Wow. And that takes repentance. That takes wow. a place of, God, I'm sorry for letting other things be what centers me and grounds me and holds me together rather than your word. Wow. So, I mean, Hebrews 1 says he, he holds the world together with his word. That's good. So he holds our lives together with his word. Mm. So we have to have room for his word. Mm. So Thank you. This is good. Okay, my last question I want to flip now and say, what if there's someone who has interacted with the scriptures and maybe it's been an intellectual kind of journey for them, but they spend a lot of time in the Bible, but they don't necessarily have this, um, love relationship with the Lord or Mm. like really identifying him as father and them as Mm. son or daughter, you know, like the identity bit in this, how does, how would one get there? Yeah. I mean, this is a, that's a really tough question to, you know, flesh out, but like I would go at it from this perspective that um, hearing, like God wants us to know Him not as God first or judge or righteous or even holy. Um, in in Matthew six, Jesus tells us to enter that secret place and talk in commune with our Father in secret. Um, Romans 8 talks about the spirit of sonship, which is the spirit of Jesus crying out within us, Abba. Um, I believe that's the starting place is um, to know God religiously or to know God in any other name but Father first. 
I believe, is to be distant in one way or another, mm. to have some kind of a distance between us and God, wow. which makes prayer hard and actually makes more than just Bible study, but getting into a deeper place with God. He wants us to know him as Abba, which means that in that relationship of Abba, that means that I or you are his beloved. Wow. And it's in that place that the Spirit cries out. The Spirit of Jesus witnesses inside of us that we are children of God. That has been, like, for me, that revelation of Abba, Father, and me as his beloved has held my life together. It's, it's why I pray, man. I run to the prayer closet because I get to, I'm not going to, to meet with a judge. I'm not going to meet wow. with someone that's going to tell me. Seriously, I mean, I'm a father of two. Mm-hmm. My kids have perhaps did some, like, they may have in that moment done some things wrong, but my first expression toward them is love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. I love my boys. I mean, even if they messed up, it doesn't change that reality. And I don't lead with judgment. I lead with love. Wow. Well, our father is what infinitely more that way toward us yeah. right <laughs> so um when i hit when i had that moment where i i heard the lord's in my spirit i i Corey, i i will never love you more than i love you and i'll never love you less like wow. i can't like what he said I, there's nothing i can do to make him love me more and there's nothing that i can do to make him love him love him less that made my life with Jesus the most greatest experience is to, is to know that I'm never starting out in deficiency with him. You know, that's why we don't pray because we're afraid of what he's going to say. That's why we don't even go to the word sometimes is because we're afraid of what he might reveal to us. And so, but once you know you're beloved, the world explodes in terms of his presence and word. It makes, there's just like, it's a joy experience. You know, because even when he disciplines us, he disciplines us in his love. Wow. Hebrews um, chapter 12. He yeah. disciplines because of, and, and what is his love? He wants to share his holiness with us. Mm-hmm. Like he wants to share that. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, think about how, how much, you know, how, I mean, Satan is such a punk to have perpetrated this brokenness of identity where we're struggling with with a God who all through scripture has been revealed. Like even like think about the book of Hosea, how much intensity he has wow. in love for us. Yeah. You know, just this <laughs> like this lovesickness for mm-hmm. us. And it, when we, when we experience that, like really know it, man, it's transforming in every way. It's, it's, it's so like wow. if I spend two minutes with Jesus in prayer or two hours, I feel no more righteous or unrighteous on the two or the, two, like the two minutes or the two, two hours, because I, I'm not earning in it anymore. That's stunning. Yeah. Wow. It's like, yeah. Striving falls apart. Self-righteousness falls apart. Not striving. Insecurity falls yeah. apart. Uh, all of these like negative consequences sometimes of religion, I feel like will fall apart in in a healthy understanding of your yes. identity. In, in like Sunday when I, was, when I was ministering Sunday about deliverance. So this is what I know Satan's threatened by. The fact is that every Christian can walk in such communion with the Lord that we actually hear his voice daily, that we can hear Jesus speak to us. And what I guess the enemy's whole strategy and plan is to throw so many kinks in that through like trying to strive or be self-righteous or not understand God as Abba, have terrible relationships with our parents, perhaps wounds as kids. He's always involved in all that because he fears what could happen if a believer literally hears his voice, the voice of the father. 
Like it'll wreck his plans if we're hearing Jesus. And I believe that we can um, daily, in, like intensely. And by doing so, we make less agreements with lies. See, that's again why we need the Bible is because as we're in the, the word of God, logos, and the rhema of God, his quickening words in our spirit, mm-hmm. we're aligning with truth. And, and then we're applying truth or walking in truth. And when he starts throwing these lie bombs at us, accusation lies and, you know, just self, you know, identification issues or whatever, um, we're grounded. You know, uh, David said in Psalm 51 that you desire truth in my innermost being. He said that after he committed adultery. Wow. Like, like somehow David, this passionate lover of God that built this whole tabernacle up for worship and prayer, had something missing in him mm-hmm. that would cause him to make decisions like that. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he was repenting, and in that he goes, oh, God, here, I know what, what the problem was. I didn't have truth in my innermost being. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to wow. have this, this truth in us to where when the lie bomb, bombs come and the, lie, and the accusations come, we're like, I, I know that's not my Father's voice. Because Satan disguises his voice to sound like Jesus. Wow. And so yeah. I'm, I know that it's true. What you're saying is true, enemy, but it's not the truth. Huh. And so that's where the word comes in, where we can really pull it up when we're in the battle and be like, this is, this is what the truth is. And I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to even declare that. That's why I think Jesus, uh, yeah, why it says in, in Revelation 12 that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb. So that's our identity is in what he's done for us. And the word of our testimony is we're declaring the truth over what's true or what is, what is a lie. We're, we're declaring truth. And if we declare truth, he has no, he, he can't have a part of us. Yeah. So, so my, my thing is like, if I'm starting to operate in some kind of agreement with something other than Jesus, I know it because I start feeling like things that I know aren't from my father, yeah. like guilt and shame and unbelief and doubt and, negativity and i want that to last like no longer than an hour or two (laughs) i I don't want it to go a day or two because then it just disrupts you know Uh that freedom so wow okay well this is excellent (laughs) you're a phenomenal witness Uh to us even in the way that you're unpacking this because i think your own self sense of identity is prominent and your own you know, I think the fruit of your private time with the Lord is really evident in the way that you speak and in the way that you love the people around you. Wow. And in the time that you poured over scripture, you know, here you're just pulling out verses mm-hmm. and uh, this was unscripted. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, w- I want to tell you what happened when I got here. Yeah. Um, the enemy started coming at me with some lies. Huh. This church is young. This church is happening. Um, uh, da, da, da. Sure. And I began to take on some insecurities like you know, um, about myself with you guys. Huh? Yeah. Oh, no doubt, man. Oh, really? Yeah. I like, I'm, you know, it. no, no, absolutely. Sure. Um, I deal with insecurity. Huh. I know that. And so then, you know, typically what we do is we try to power up and be too secure. And then that comes out as arrogance or pride. And I've just been so broken. I can't ever get back to that place. <laughs> <laughs> so, Whoa. so I was actually getting ready for like the first session and, and Jesus just came to me and said, Corey, What's wrong is that you're too conscious of those voices of insecurity. You're not conscious enough of me. I want to make you 
conscious of me and unconscious about all these things. And so the more we're conscious of him, we become un like the more we're conscious of his presence and truth, we become like almost unconscious about ourselves. Like we like the more we think about the Father, the less we think about ourselves. Huh. And so I repented. I actually said, Lord, thank, forgive me for being too self-conscious because that's just not of you. And, and I just asked him the whole weekend, make me more conscious of your presence than I am of me. That's good. And he did. Like, wow. I forgot about myself. Wow. Like I literally did. The whole weekend, I totally forgot about myself. <laughs> I forgot about my insecurities. I forgot about what I was thinking or what the enemy was trying to get me to think going in. Whoa. You know? I mean, he gets you thinking about what you're wearing. I'm serious. Like, you know, these people are hip wearing this and that, and you're just, you know, old school, whatever. You know, it's just lies. But but, um, they have a place in us, Mm -hmm. man, if we don't identify them. And and that's all deliverance is. Deliverance from the enemy is just getting free from lies we believe. That's what I talked Mm -hmm. about Sunday. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's excellent. And there's freedom for all of us. I'm yeah. glad you brought us into that. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have perceived that at all from this weekend. I, oh, yeah. I've seen your humility this weekend. And I think what's encouraging to me is to see that someone I really admire in their faith like you is also interacting with insecurity and having to respond to those lies from the enemy in real always, time. Always. And you're like, your connectedness to the Lord has been strong enough and steadfast enough that you recognize those lies and the Lord can yeah. give you in, insight into how to respond to those lies. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I want everyone to hear that, that truthfully, everyone is experiencing what I'm experiencing. We just huh. need to be honest about it. Like yeah. James 5 says, confess your faults to each other and you will be healed. So if we tr- try to hold in, hold them in and act like we're, we're whatever, and I think that kind of vulnerability helps others realize yeah, I mean, literally, like, like Friday, I'm I'm getting ready, and and the, I, I hear this voice. This teaching is gonna bomb. <laughs> Whoa, really? Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, and I'm like, well, that's not my father. He would not tell me that. He he mm. just spent the last eight days with me preparing for this. He he wouldn't mm. prepare me to bomb. Right. And then Sunday, I was sitting in the front row, mm. and um, I I heard another voice. No one's going to respond to this. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Whoa. So almost as if, like, change your word. <laughs> Whoa. Find something else like to it's talk not about. Gonna, it's not even going to connect. This is going to disconnect. And then I looked out, and I don't think there was anybody left in the seats. I looked down, I and they were like, so many people. And that's why you can almost, like, whatever you hear that you know is not of the Lord, just take the opposite. It's good. Because <laughs> yeah. the opposite of that lie would be a truth. Yeah. And... So, yeah, but those kinds of mind games are happening with all of us every day. Yeah. So that's, that's why excellent. we need prayer and the word and worship yeah. to, to get his word in us, yeah. to get that word in us. So you're grounded in your identity and yes. an authentic relationship yes. with the father. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love that. It, it's not like, oh, I need to have the Bible memorized in order to win these battles or even once I have the Bible memorized, <laughs> as if any one of us had the whole scriptures memorized, then the battles would never come to me anymore. And neither of those things are true. It's like, actually, freedom is available for me yeah. now, Listen, regardless of who I am. Absolutely. John 16, Jesus actually says, I'll remind, or 15 or 16, I'll remind, it's actually, he says it, I think in 14, 15 and 16, <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll give you the spirit of truth and he will remind you of everything I said. Huh. So think about that. You don't actually have to 
know the Bible from front to back. You don't actually have to have this, like, um, some people have, what, what, um, uh, like, they can remember everything. I forget what that's called. But, sure. But they just... Like a photographic yeah, memory. Photographic yeah, photographic memory. Um, you have one. Huh. It's Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. The Holy God. <laughs> Spirit. I'm serious. Yeah. Like, I believe even stuff you've not read in the Bible, he will remind you of what he said. Yeah. So that's why it's almost more, like, you got to have the Holy Spirit or the Bible is just... You know, yeah. His spirit is—he's the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth, and so that's what the whole journey is. That's actually me coming here this weekend. He's the spirit of truth, and he's going to guide me into all truth. And I'm going to hear a lot of lies when, I, when I'm when I'm here. I almost expect it, and and yet, um, if I keep dialing into him, he'll guide me. That's good. Yeah. Wow! Praise God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good place to end. I think. Yeah, Corey, we can yeah. land the plane right there. This has been so helpful. <laughs> And encouraging. I hope, listener, yeah. this has been really encouraging to you. I'm super glad that you tuned in to this conversation. And yeah, we just pray that you feel blessed, that you feel your identity as a mm. beloved daughter or son of the divine King, our good father who knows you and sees you and loves you fully, yeah. uh, regardless yeah. of what you've done. You know, Rome, uh, go, go to like, I, I encourage anybody to take the passion translation and go read Romans eight in the passion translation, that part where it talks about the spirit cries out, Abba, go read that in the passion translation. Yeah. It'll blow your mind. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, thank you, Corey. <laughs> thank you. It's an honor. Lord yeah. bless you. Thank you. And, uh, listener, have a wonderful rest of your week. We'll see you next week.